as we address this course called Seasons, and we are halfway through the different segments, please allow yourself to be at peace in your heart, your spiritual heart, your soul, the groundedness of <clears throat> your life upon the earth, beside the great trees of the human history we know, and the plants that went before them, the plants that will come after them, and rooted just like the great sequoia and cowrie and bristlecone pines. Allow yourself the splendor of the way in which the manifestation of the earth holds your incarnation, supple, vital, real, growing, alive, out of history, into the present, toward the future, <clears throat> in aspiration, in prayer, in practice, in the promise of you. As we come through conception, gestation, birth, infancy, youth, we tend to learn <clears throat> the concept of ourselves. Who am I? <clears throat> we learn through two responses to life, affinity and reaction or rebellion or resistance, aversion. <clears throat> so we might have affinity for a certain toy. We might have a rejection of another toy or the lack of a toy. And so we learn our lessons through the pleasure or fulfillment of the toy and through the suffering of the broken toy or the stolen toy or the poverty of no toy. And <clears throat> we tend to conceptualize our identity, our concept of self as an individual between those two poles. It's very popular to work on processing the lower aspects of the ego personality <clears throat> in the lesser parts of the aura and chakras and energy bodies of light around us. But what's important is that we don't leave the higher or deeper or central energies of our incarnation, the union with God, whatever we call him or her, the oneness with heaven, the fact that we are a seed of the tree of life, of heaven on earth, to represent heaven on earth as an individual. Well, hello, I bow to that in you, which is of heaven on earth, and then you breathe. And I <clears throat> come from the living prayer of this within myself, of heaven on earth, just one seed, the common, humble, yet virtuous as I am able, being of Beth. And then <clears throat> there is a mood of pregnancy of grace or pregnancy of ecstasy or pregnancy of love between us, heart to heart, soul to soul, prayer to prayer, aspiration to aspiration. <clears throat> and out of the great mystery, the next moment is born. 
time. The mysterious perfection studied by the mystics of the world. Oh, time in that mood of oneness between us, answered by God, by heaven, so that we too, together, are being of heaven on earth. This is love. And then the individual you are, and the individual I am, has come successfully through human conception and birth and infancy and youth into an adequate maturity to be responsive, responding to time, to every moment of life, with adequate discernment in our moral structure <clears throat> to answer ourselves and another human being in a manner that is grace-filled, a manner that serves holiness, the holiness of heaven, a manner that serves the realization of you coming to represent that holiness of heaven as a seed of the tree of life you are. When we do this, <clears throat> the heart slightly bursts open and we are in this innocent receptivity of the blessing of grace that descends through us or moves through us, through you and through me, and our next lesson is being realized by us together, by you as an individual and by me as an individual. And yet it takes us beyond ourselves to be beside one another. <clears throat> and we do understand this experience. I'm calling it love here. It also might be called peace, peace beyond war. The weapons just come down. And then what happens is we tend to say, now what do we do? And so the aspect of work for the individual can take place in many facets. It might be the way in which one lives in a personal life with how we dress and cook and uh, take care of our home and our livelihood, or our lack of such nurturing aspects of the wealth of the human life. We might be homeless, a vagabond. We might victimize ourselves and just say, it's just too hard for me to work <clears throat> and let other people do all of the work. Or we might be sick and infirm and unable. So we have a loved one take care of certain qualities of life beside us. But we, we can always do something, whether it's knitting socks, or preparing the soup, or for the contemplative monk, it might be farming in the morning after praying at 4.30 before dawn and listening to the song of God through the songbirds arising in the early, early light, just as it begins. All right, then that prayer <clears throat> is a living hymn resounding through the entire human race. The more sensitive we are, <clears throat> the more we are both in the direction of awakening and against the direction of awakening because we are partly going toward God and we are partly terrified or hesitant. If I let go, I'm going to die into this because I've never done this before or surely someone will react against me and think my dress is foolish or my tie or my lack of a tie I'm so unsophisticated or I'm so poor I can't afford one or certainly not the designer tie like that 
gentleman has on. And so <clears throat> rather than realizing the individual we are, we tend to dwell in a friction between this immature affinity, inadequately practiced, and an immature and uncertain aversion, which is our own way of being violent and not quite growing up. <clears throat> so let's go back into the way in which the soul and the physical and spiritual heart develop where we say, no, I'm not going to quite awaken. We have an experience in our life. We don't know what to do. And we aren't quite sure how to go forward. <clears throat> I know uh, a story in my own family, which is very personal. Years ago, I told my, my mother, who's who's been gone for many years now, but <clears throat> I was in my 40s. She was in her 60s. And I commented to her that <clears throat> I had one tender piece of uh, the elements of our family home that I was wistful that we didn't still have. And it was a beautiful uh, footed cake plate. In the Western culture, there's a tradition of cakes at events of birthdays and <clears throat> certain holidays. And my mother's mother was a splendid baker. And my mother was also, but my grandmother Cora was the baker of, the, of several generations. <clears throat> and so my mother had a beautiful white milk glass cake plate. And if it were a birthday or Easter, when she'd make a Easter rabbit cake with coconut on it to look like fur and just be just sweet and very dear for us as children when we were young. <clears throat> so at various holidays, she'd have a sophisticated cake, a playful cake, cake for my late brother Mike. There was always the milk glass plate that would come out and stand, you know, six inches tall on the table with a beautiful prepared, ready for the cake. <clears throat> the cake would be placed and there would be a celebratory feeling of offering and such love. So <clears throat> I commented to her that I was surprised she hadn't kept that when she came to live near me in her last years during the winter months and back at <clears throat> the cottage which my father built uh, in, when I was uh, in utero in my parents' womb. She, I was surprised she hadn't kept it, <clears throat> although the cottage kitchen wouldn't have been an easy place to hold it, nor the time of the major holidays. It would be a time of birthdays, but not major holidays. And she said to me, <clears throat> that the cake plate, although it was beautiful, <clears throat> had always brought her a great deal of sadness as an individual. And she said that she had bought that plate for her mother. And she took it into the kitchen of her parents' home. And <clears throat> her mother made an unkind comment to her. And my mother was very hurt. And she said it was so unlike my mother. <clears throat> it was so unlike her my mother's mother to say something and then she found out later that her mother had gone through something very difficult with my grandfather and she was just so hurt she didn't really want the cake plate and asked my mother to take it away which is what hurt my mother so my mother took it home so unbeknownst to me <clears throat> the cake plate for my mother was something beautiful and filled with love for her mother who couldn't bring it into her home that day when she found that she and her husband were not going to be together anymore, right? This, this is one dish in, in my family. Over three generations, we are talking almost 70 years. So <clears throat> I have a cake plate, 
And when I got it, I said to my mother, well, I love you and I loved Cora and I'm sorry that this happened. Cora came from a great deal of poverty. So a cake plate like this would have been special, but almost too much, <clears throat> almost more than anything her mother would have had. So Cora was working on the parts of her spiritual heart and soul, heart for her as a coal miner's daughter in the mountains of northern Appalachian, Pennsylvania. Right? Through World War I into her young woman years. And then my mother, who was so thrilled to buy such a beautiful dish for her mother, not expensive, but very lovely, and taking it there with me <clears throat> to her parents' home. And my grandfather wasn't there that day. He had left that day. He never came back. He came to visit, and this is a great heartbreak, this cake plate. What do we do to become the individual where God in Cora, my beloved grandmother, God in Francis, my grandfather, also beloved, but a difficult man, my mother, myself, <clears throat> and the blue and white cake plate I will place out tonight for my stepson, who's here visiting for a day, several weeks before his birthday. His sisters are here. We will all with his father have a slice of cake tonight on that footed cake plate. My grandmother Cora is the matriarchal strength through which my voice speaks to you today. I will never be a baker like she is. I will always honor her and my mother through the cake plate, starving children I have held in my arms in refugee camps, wealthy women I have counseled, people of humble resources who've turned to me in the glorious experiences they have as individuals and the heartrending ones where they don't quite know which direction to go. Should I receive the surgery now the other surgeon thinks it's not really necessary. I'm frightened of what to do. <clears throat> the place in my heart and soul that knows how to answer the other human being is because of the kind of love my mother and I have always shared, where truth in realizing heaven in my mother's heart and mind is what she always, always taught to me. It never leaves me that noble virtue of alignment within her. May you practice that so that <clears throat> when you go towards something of affinity, I wish I had a cake plate too, I think, well, wait and see if that's actually what we're talking about. Maybe what is needed is that your father needs a tie and you don't need a cake plate at all. Or maybe your father needs you to help him let go of an old tie that is stained and can't be fixed, or to repair one that can be cleaned and being washed by hand or dry cleaned. And the love then is so transparent that allows holiness to be held as love manifest in your father, 
and in you. And then we have heaven on earth, and it is that easy. Oh, what I thought <clears throat> I needed to have or must do, grasping at affinity, was my fear that heaven would not answer you and answer me together. Heaven will always answer us together. But the courage is remaining in the moment from the past toward the future so that the individual is sculpted by God within you, you as the daughter or son of that. Then the virtue in your heart and soul facing another and the other facing you will always know what to do so that the strength of heaven is what answers you, not the push and pull of their affinities versus yours. The second part of this is the resistance, the aversion, the negative, the places where we're frightened. What if I never have a cake plate? What if no one ever loves me enough to make a cake for me? I just don't even want to face the issue. I'm never going to deal with a tie for my father. I hate him or I love him, but he doesn't need a tie for me. He'd make fun of the color. I go, maybe. But we're not dressing just the ego, that part of the skin of identity of your father. <clears throat> we are addressing his beauty in God. And if he answers, I would never wear a tie that's that vibrant, you can say, that's okay, Daddy. Let's just put it away, Father, and maybe someday you can wear it. I just love you so much. See, and then you are strong enough, stoic enough, resilient enough, you coming through your birth to become the individual who never leaves heaven on this earth, and therefore is answered in universal ways. All kinds of the collectives we deal with every day, from work to family to neighborhoods and nations and faith groups or hobby groups or styles of fashion, generations, a myriad of collectives. And yet here you are shining in your heart and soul as you meet the next moment mysterious and filled with grace, always, everywhere.